Take your Bibles, if you would, go to 1 Chronicles chapter 4. 1 Chronicles chapter 4, again, I'll be reading one verse tonight. Somebody says, do you only know how to read a little bit? <laughs> you only read one this morning. Well, I do want to focus on one verse. You know, the book of Chronicles is interesting reading. The who begots. You know, so-and-so begot so-and-so. And you've probably never done this because you're probably more spiritual than I am. But sometimes I get bogged down in the names. And I'm even worse at pronouncing them. And sometimes I'm like, then I think, well, but I've heard other people and they don't sound like they're saying it right either. The good news is I'm not dealing with that tonight, amen. But yeah, in the listing of Chronicles, it seems like every once in a while, God just kind of wakes us up in our reading with nuggets like Jabez, and I'm not preaching about him tonight, but boy, that's good in chapter four. But I want to go to verse 23, if you would join me there. First Chronicles 4 and verse 23. There, and these were the potters and those that dwelled among plants and hedges. There they dwelt with the king for his work. With the Lord's help tonight, I want to preach for a few moments on for the king. Father, we love you tonight and what an honor it is to be able to serve you. Lord, we know who we are and how we recognize how great and mighty you are that you would allow us to serve you is beyond our comprehension. Not only that you would save us, but Lord, that you would want to use our lives. So we pray that tonight we might be able to encourage your saints. Lord, I know where I'm at. I know the caliber of people that are in front of me. And I recognize there are many, many great servants of God. But Lord, maybe, maybe we could just remind ourselves afresh and anew tonight. It's not about us, but it's all about you. Help us, Lord, as we labor for you, our King, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In this part of the Chronicles, he's dealing, of course, with uh, some of the descendants of the tribe of Judah. And there's some different things that are talked about. This particular verse, we don't know for sure there's debate and discussion over which king or what series of kings might be mentioned here. That's not really the issue tonight. But I do want to talk to you about this interesting group of people. You know, as you look at all the people that labored in the Bible in different areas, of course, even for those that served men like King David and, and men like King Solomon, some of them were certainly very famous men and had very impressive jobs. Some of them had uh, responsibilities that maybe didn't draw the attention of the crowd, but somehow uh, what they were doing was for the king. It really didn't matter whether they got attention or not. It didn't matter whether they became famous or not, as long as they were doing something for the king. I want you to notice a few things with me tonight. I said that these were the potters those that dwelled among plants and hedges. Now, I think about that involvement of, of course, making pottery to be used for the plants and plants and hedges. And to me, this sounds like a lot of work going on and kind of reminds me when I was a kid, my dad loved to garden. Do we have any gardeners in here tonight? Raise your hand if you are a gardener. And uh, my dad loved to garden. And I'll be honest with you, he would get carried away. Dad liked to garden, but when we went to Tremont, our home there on one side, our house set back off the road. And on one side was the front pasture as you would come in. That's where I kept my horse and we raised a, a cow now and then. And, and uh, so uh, we had animals in that pasture on the left side of the driveway was dad's main garden. It wasn't really a garden. It was more like a truck patch. You know, it was like a let's feed the community and make a difference in this day and age we're living in. And, and then behind the house, he had another garden. And then behind the chicken house, he had 
build a small garden out there. And he, he came to me one day, he said, hey, I was reading something. I think it's really neat. I'm thinking about doing some organic garden. I said, dad, that is great. That's what we need is one more garden at this place. But anyway, he loved the garden. Now, don't, don't be critical of me. I love the pro, uh, produce from the garden. I loved all the canning that my mother did. My brother that I mentioned was adopted. He was way too enthusiastic to suit me. He'd wake up in the morning. He'd say, hey, we get to dig potatoes today. And I'd be like, and your point is, let's see who can dig the most. You win. <laughs> but anyway, man, we, uh, we'd go out there. And I said to dad one day, I said, dad, you know, uh, we're growing way more than our family could ever eat. He said, but think about it, son. We could be a blessing to so many people. We could give them food and produce. And I said, hey, why don't we let them come help us work this garden and weed the garden and be a blessing to us? He never did see it that way. But anyway, we gardened and it is hard work. I'm telling you. Now, my favorite part was when things started coming up it made me feel like my labor was not in vain. And then, of course, when we began to harvest, what an exciting time it was. And when mama would put it on the table, it was even better. Somebody say amen. But anyway, notice, if you will, just a few things with me tonight. Number one, the people of service. The Bible said these were the potters, those that dwelled among plants and hedges. Let me say, first of all, that's a humble position. To be potters, to be people that worked among the hedges and people that worked among the plants of all the jobs that you could have in the kingdom. Certainly there were more prestigious jobs. I want to remind you tonight that if you are serving God, it doesn't matter where or what your service is. If you're doing it for the king, it is a very worthy position. But uh, some may look at it as unimportant. Some may look at it as insignificant. And, and in looking at it, it would seem like a humble position. But can I tell you something? It was a very honest position. They were working. They were doing something to make a difference. Now I envision, I'll say more about it in a moment, but I envision as people would come to the palace and some of the kings had not only their palace, but maybe uh, had some places in the country and these people made everything look nice and they worked hard and they were really diligent about getting all the plants and the flowers and all the things out there. And I imagine as people would come to see the kingdom, they didn't say, man, what great potters you have. Oh, what wonderful hedge trimmers you have. Man, and you really have some great gardeners, don't you? No, time and again, they'd say, wow, king, you really have a beautiful place. But I'm sure that those who were serving the king were in the background going, man, I'm so glad that what I've done for my king has made others set up and take notice because it was a holy position given to them by the king. When God saved me and he called me to preach, there were a couple other young men that surrendered to preach around that same time. And I remember one of my friends in high school, and I'm not being critical, but, but he told me, he said, you know, I'm not a junior church preacher. I'm not a nursing home preacher. I'm not really a rescue mission preacher. I'm a main pulpit kind of preacher. I can kind of envision myself standing before a great congregation. And I was thinking, man... Give me the junior church. Give me the rescue mission. Let, let me preach wherever I have. I don't mean this wrong. Listen, what an honor it was to take the word of God wherever God gave opportunity. Can I tell you something? If you want to serve God, don't get this mindset that if I'm not going to be famous or if I'm not going to have the highest position or if everybody is going to see me as great, that somehow you're missing out. The Bible said these were they. Can I tell you something? That were potters and they were uh, dwelling among plants and hedges. But uh, as they worked there, they were in the place that was given to them by the king. 
The songwriter said, I'd rather have Jesus. And could I say, I'd rather serve Jesus wherever he would place me. I just want to be a willing servant. And if that's what he wants you to do, if that's what he wants me to do, let's do it for his honor and glory. We see not only the people of service, but notice secondly, the place of service. The Bible said that these were the potters and those that dwelled among the plants and hedges. Notice that next word, there. You say, where? <laughs> where the king placed them. You know, the best thing you can do in life is find you're there. If God puts you there, stay there till God puts you somewhere else. But being you're there. I mean, find the there that God wants you in. Find that place where God wants you to serve Him. Find that place where God wants you to be able to be effective for the cause of Christ. You say, but Brother Graham, if I take this place or I do this position, will people notice me? It doesn't matter, dear friend. It's all about pointing them to the King. Listen, years from now, you may not remember. You hear preachers, you may say, what was that guy's name? You may not remember this preacher. That doesn't matter. But all that you would remember that I've come here as a servant of the King of Kings and Lord of lords and they served him there where the king placed him. Get in your there and serve there. So well, preacher, I'm looking for a better there than here. And I'm speaking now, maybe you're in a position where it's not where you intended to be. Life doesn't always go the way we plan. We don't always get to see things the way we want it to be. But oh, listen, God makes no mistakes. You get in your there and you might be amazed what he'll do with you in your there. We notice, thirdly, the privilege of service. But I love the way this reads. The Bible said there they dwelt with the king. That's a pretty good place to be. <laughs> I don't mean this wrong. The world can mock you, friend, but they don't know who you know. I'm a child of the king. I've got direct access to the throne of God. I don't mean to be unkind, but I'm going to tell you something. People in the world don't have what we have. They don't know what we know. They don't understand what we understand. They can't access what we can access. And I don't say that to be unkind or mean spirited, but aren't you glad that you know the Lord? Don't, aren't you glad that Jesus Christ lives in your heart? Aren't you glad when the burdens of life come pressing down that you can go to the King? You get to dwell with the King. What a joy it is. Now, we're not physically with the King in the sense of being in heaven. Not at this point, but I'm telling you without a doubt when he left he told the disciples I'll not leave you comfortless but I'll send another and I'm glad that even though I can't see him with these eyes I can sense him in my heart to the person of the Holy Spirit of God and I'm dwelling with the king and what a joy it is to know that he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known Amen. to dwell with the king why why would these people want to dwell with the king I mean, he's up here. And I don't mean to be unkind, but in their position, compared to a king and royalty, they're down here. But somehow the king connected with this crowd that made his place so beautiful and allowed them to be close to him. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm so amazed that he wants to fellowship with me. I mean, he's up here high and lifted up. And oh, woe is me, as the Isaiah said, for I'm undone. But oh, what a joy it is to know he wants us to be with him. Why would you want to dwell with the king? Well, I think you want to dwell with the king, especially if you're doing what these men are doing, uh, to be mindful of his desires. You see these potters and these hedge trimmers and uh, these uh, pottery workers and all of these plant uh, people, they weren't trying to fix things the way they wanted it. They were trying to find out what pleased the king. 
You know what a difference our life would be if we'd live it in this light. Lord, does this please you? Is where I'm going please you? Is how I'm living pleasing you? Is what I'm, uh, what I'm doing with my life pleasing you? Everything that we do, it ought to be about pleasing the one who loved us and gave himself for us. I want to be mindful of his desires. Well, you preacher, I got my rights. We're living in such a rights-oriented day till we don't even know what really is our rights and what is our demands. And it's an insane world we're living in. If I got what I deserved, I'd spend eternity in hell. But because of the grace of God, dear friend, I have the privilege of being able to dwell with the King. And I just want to be in a position where I can be mindful of what He wants out of my life. Lord, what pleases you? You're my King. Lord, I just want to please the Lord. Be in His will in every way. Well, I don't know about you, but I want to please the one who loved me and gave himself for me. But not only do I want to be by the king to be able to know more about his desires, but I want to be near the king to be more like him. Can you imagine if you're hanging with the king? It's going to rub off. Dear friend, I'm telling you, when we run with the master, it ought to cause us to be more like the master. Keep your place there. But Romans chapter 8, you know these verses. Romans chapter 8 really decries that very desire of our heart. Romans chapter 8, the Bible said, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, don't get nervous about that word uh, foreknow and predestination. Brother Graham, that makes me nervous. What's in the Bible? Foreknowledge is an attribute of God. God knows everything. God knows what would have happened if something did happen that didn't happen. God knows everything. Nothing takes God by surprise. He has foreknowledge. That's one of his attributes. But don't confuse that with the actions of God. See, the Bible tells us about this predestination being the action of God. When I got saved, he did several things in my life. For instance, he does know everything, but when he saved me, uh, he adopted me into the family. Now, my adoption is not yet complete. Now, it's settled in Christ. Now, think about it. It's right there in Romans. Because I hadn't had the adoption of the body. I told you this morning, I, this one's not the glorified one. But my adoption's complete. Listen, I'll have a new body. Praise the Lord. But that adoption has been settled. He's already taken care of it. That is one of the actions of God. But I'll tell you, here's another action. When God saved you, the moment He saved you, He began the work of predestinating you to be conformed into the image of His Son. God is working to mold us and shape us and conform us into the image of His Son. I haven't arrived, and I think if we're honest, none of us feel like we have. But I'll tell you, there ought to be a driving desire in our heart to want to respond like Jesus, responded, to have an attitude like Christ, to, uh, to to see people like he sees them, to love people like he loves them. I'm just talking about being able to be conformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. It ought to be the desire of our heart to be more like the master. Would I ever be? I want to be like him when I'm dealing with the enemy. I went to the board many years ago in Arkansas. They were trying to get our county to become wet for decades. It had been a dry county. And they started bringing it in a little at a time through private clubs, and that's how they work. I'd read a lot of history on how people tried to battle them, and I went. And, and of course, uh, as I went into the room and began to present the case and take a stand for right, and, and it is right. Right, right. 
And so as I went in to take that stand, and one of the men said, well, you're probably just a prohibitionist, aren't you? I said, sir, I'm here because what you're doing is against our law. We're, we're a dry county. And you are super imposing your own will on our county. And uh, he said, well, uh, there's a loophole in the law. And he said, it needs to be stopped. And I said, then let's stop it. But I said, you know that at that time, a restaurant that was coming into our town was going to be a private club. I said, you know, they're not going to be a private club, that they're not going to require people to join there. And he said, oh, yeah, we're a 5013C, just like you are. I said, well, I know a little bit about 5013Cs. I said, so you're telling me that all your members are going to come to an annual business meeting? You tell me that they're going to have a say in, you know, how the church funding goes and things like that, or your 5013C goes. And I begin to, he said, well, you know, technically we can't do it that way. I said, so technically you're breaking the law. Uh, after a while, the guy said, you know what? You remind me of the preacher where I grew up when I was a boy. And you sound just like my parents. You really hate liquor, don't you? I said, I do, because it's destroying lives. But the whole time, I never one time yelled or screamed or got mean. So you don't have to be ugly with people. You can still represent Christ and take a firm stand. And, and so I'm just simply saying, I want to be more like him when I'm dealing with my enemies. I want to be more like him when I'm dealing with my friends and my family. Oh, to be like him, that ought to be the driving desire of our heart. Notice, not only the people of service and the place of service and the privilege of service, but notice, fourthly, the priority of service. The end of this verse says, there they dwelt with the king for his work. It's not my work. I get to be a part of the work of God, but it's not my work. It's his work. And I understand this. You know, we'll say things like my church, but we know it's not ours. It's his. And, you know, we want to do what pleases him. When I began to make the prayer about the Lord's leadership and the timing of making our transition, God really graciously worked it out so that I could spend a little time in the hospital. I didn't have COVID, but COVID was just on the scene, so nobody could come and see me. And so I got some time alone with God, and I'd been asking him to show me when the time was right, and he made it clear it was time, and gave me the, the go-ahead and, and even laid in my heart how to go about it. And of course, uh, been preparing our people, and, and to make a long story short, God brought us through that. But you know what? It's not just what I want. It's what he wants. I started out as an evangelist, and I asked the Lord if he would allow me. I'd love to finish the way I started. And God has been gracious to let me do that. But I want you to know it's not my work. It's not my ministry. It's his work. Ecclesiastes 10, 7 said, I've seen servants upon horses and princes walking as serpent, servants upon the earth. In other words, that's out of order. It ought to be that he gets the seat of preeminence and you and I take the back seat. The Bible said in, that in all things, he might have the preeminence. As far as I know, and preacher, I might be wrong. I think preeminence is only used three times in the Bible. Once in the Old Testament, twice in the New Testament. There was a man that John wrote about in his little epistle named Diophrasis who desired to have the preeminence. And Colossians says that in all things, speaking of Jesus, that he might have the preeminence. The problem with Diophrasis is he wanted what belonged to Christ. The preeminence doesn't belong to me or you or anyone else. It belongs to him. And he alone is worthy of praise. And we get to be his servants. And oh, listen, you and I need to recognize in our lives, he doesn't just want to have a small part in our life. He wants to be preeminent. Amen. He wants to be, you know, somebody says, well, if I go to that church, what, what, what do they promote at that church? We promote Jesus. Amen. This church pro proclaims the message of Jesus Christ and it's his work. 
Can I say this? We must labor for our king. I don't know about you. Sometimes I get overwhelmed with the great need of our world. Years ago, my dad pastored in a little town called Tremont, Illinois, about 2,000 people. Most of our hospital visits were made in Peoria, which was the bigger city around us. And traffic jam in Tremont was a tractor coming out of the field and getting on the highway for a little bit and slowing us down. But man, sometimes you go to Peoria when Caterpillar was getting off and man, it would just pack out everywhere. You've been there, you know what I'm talking about. And I remember one day I was coming across the bridge to make a hospital call and I happened to hit it as tra traffic was coming from the Caterpillar uh, shift change. And man, it was just bumper to bumper. And I'm driving along there, preacher, I begin to notice the faces of people as we're moving very slowly there. And this thought crossed my mind. I wonder how many of them know Christ. Before long, I had to ease off the road. Tears began to come to my eyes. And I thought about what Jesus said, or the Bible said when Jesus saw the multitude, He was moved with compassion. When's the last time our hearts were broken over a lost and dying world? Mom, when's the last time your heart was broken over your children that aren't saved? Dad, over your children aren't saved. Children over parents that aren't saved. Loved ones that aren't saved. Co-workers. And I'm not here to scold you. I'm saying it's so easy sometimes in the busyness of life to forget that we've been entrusted. The Bible said we've been allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. May God burn in our hearts a fresh desire to represent our King and share the good news of salvation. You're not going to find the good news in the world like you'll find in the Word of God. And we have the message the world needs. We must labor for the king. I may not be able to impact the whole world as I'd like to. I do believe I can have a part in it in my missions, and you can too. But I want to tell you something. I want to labor in my corner of the field. I want to serve my king. But oh, listen, we must not only labor for the king, we must look to the king. See what he has, see what he wants. Look to Him for His direction. Find out what His desire is for our life and allow Him to designate where He wants us to serve Him. You remember very quickly in the Old Testament uh, when uh, David wanted to build the house for God and God wouldn't let him. So David made some preparation and David uh, brought some vessels and, and dedicated them to the Lord to be used in the temple or the, uh, what would be the temple. And then Solomon, of course, became the king. And Solomon took those vessels that his father had dedicated to the Lord and he he designated where they would be used. He set them in their place according to the scripture. And then one day Nebuchadnezzar came along and the Bible said that he stole those things out of the house of God and he dominated over the vessels of the Lord. Man, my heart grieves every time I read that. Those were the vessels of our God and the enemy was dominating over him. And then after the enemy had it for a while, his son came along, Belshazzar, and the Bible says that he desecrated the vessels of the Lord giving praise to the gods of the satanic. But aren't you glad one day Ezra came along and a new king said, you know what, these don't belong to us. We want to give them back to you for the house of God. And Ezra took them and cleaned them up and brought them back and dedicated them afresh and anew and demonstrated that God could use that vessel again. Look, I don't know where your vessel's at. If you're saved, you belong to Him. Your life is dedicated to Him.
And listen, God has a place where he wants to designate you to serve him. God has a place where he wants your vessel to be greatly used. And you just need to allow him to be the one to put. Don't say, this is what I want to do. But Lord, what would you have me to do? Nothing wrong with having dreams. Nothing wrong with having desires. Listen, my children growing up, they wanted to be everything in the world. Somebody said, Brother Graham, uh, what do your kids want to do? Everything. I mean, if they saw a fireman, they wanted to be a fireman. If they saw a policeman, they wanted to be a policeman. I mean, some of them at one time wanted to be a ninja. I mean, they wanted to be at all. But the thing that I kept saying to them, listen, what you need to do is just find out God's will for your life and then pursue it with all your mind. And then when you get designated to where God wants you, be careful because the enemy wants to come and if possible dominate over your life. And a lot of people who've been saved by the grace of God have allowed the enemy to dominate in their life. And then if you're not careful before long, the enemy will desecrate your life. But thank God, if that happens, friend, God is still able to cleanse you. God is still able, dear friend, to forgive you. And like Ezra took those vessels, he can demonstrate your life once again to be an honorable life for him. Oh, listen, we got to look to the king. And then let me say, lastly, we must love the king. How could you not love the one who loved you and gave himself for you? First John 4, 19 said, we love him because he first loved us. I'll never understand. I don't think as long as I live why God could ever love me so. But I know this. I want to live for him who died for me. How happy then my life shall be. Oh, what a blessing it is to know that because he saved us, we ought to love him. Oh, he initiated that love, but oh, we ought to love him. And don't be ashamed. We were getting ready to leave the, the hotel a while ago and trying to get out the door and get here. To, we were going to come do a sound check and, and a couple was checking in and they stopped us and I said, wow, you're awful dressed up tonight. Where are you going? Of course, I said, we're headed to church. Oh, you, you know, that's exciting. And he, was, he said, this is such a different area. He said, we're, we're moving from California. I said, yeah, it's a different area. <laughs> and uh, they were checking in and he said, but actually we're on our way to Arkansas. I said, really? He said, yeah. I said, we're from Arkansas. He said, yeah, we're moving to Arkansas. I said, where are you moving to? He said, uh, Benton, you heard of that? I said, yeah, <laughs> actually I have. So we were able to get some uh, information quickly exchanged and let them know of a good church that we could recommend in Benton, Arkansas. And they were like, man, this is such a breath of fresh air from where we came from. But anyway, can I tell you something? Everywhere we go, we're ambassadors for Christ. Man said to me this morning, I can tell you're a preacher. I appreciated that. He said, you going to church today? I said, yes, sir. I said, I'm preaching. And I told him where. And then he said this, I'm going to a softball game. But he said, I'm also a preacher. And I didn't criticize him. I didn't slap him upside the head and say, what do you think you're doing? I didn't have to. He knew where he ought to be. Listen, I love softball, baseball. I love sports. But I love Jesus more. Listen, I don't want anything to come between me and him. And it's a privilege to serve the king. And whatever we do, wherever we go, we're servants of the living God. We need to talk about Jesus. The King of kings is He, the Lord of lords supreme throughout eternity. I don't know about you, but I'm excited to labor for the King. Father, we love you. I pray that you'd help us to be good servants wherever we go to represent you well. Lord, we know that every one of us 
that are saved tonight recognize that without you, we could do nothing or be nothing. But because of your amazing grace, we get to carry the blessed gospel to a lost and dying world. I've often wondered, Lord, the condition of our world being what it is, how much of it rests on the people of God and the men of God. Help us, Lord, to stand in these last days to make a difference. Father, I'm asking that you would bless the invitation time. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to hearts, Lord, even now. Help us to realize, Lord, wherever you place us, it's a good place to be. Help us to honor you. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. As the music begins, 451, we're singing Trust and Obey.